You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. So let's go to God's Word. He speaks to us today in John chapter 20. We've been uh, going through the Gospel of John. We've, we've skipped a ton here, right? We're, we're going to make our way back, because last week we preached on uh, John 11, I think, and, and now we've skipped a bunch. But we will come back and work our way through. But we're looking at specific encounters with Jesus, uh, people uh, that he encounters along the way, friends and strangers and uh, people of all kinds he encounters. So today we look at this encounter with Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1 through 18. Let's follow along in God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in the place by itself." The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. Well, I'm, I'm convinced that we sh- shouldn't only teach about the birth of Jesus on Christmas and we shouldn't only teach about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter because these events are so critical to our faith and foundational to why we believe what we believe as, as Christians. Here we have this scene of the resurrection of Jesus, the, the resurrection morning where Jesus' disciples go to, to the tomb and he's not there. And there is this encounter that he has with Mary. The first person to witness the resurrected Christ is Mary. Our, the resurrection of Jesus is essential to our faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is said to be useless. If Jesus is not alive today, then... Our despair will never turn to hope. 
the best things are behind us. Our good deeds are done in vain. And it really doesn't matter what happens to us or what we do to others. It would all be futile. But since the resurrection has occurred, because Jesus is alive, we are guaranteed that everything that God has said and has promised to us is coming true and will come true. Everything, we have a guarantee of his faithfulness. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that makes even a relationship with God today possible. A personal relationship with God that is beyond just intellectual and emotional, but a real, intimate bond of unity and peace and friendship with God. If the resurrection were not real, we couldn't have this relationship with God and everything would just be boiled down to just this memorializing of, of Jesus. A remember when, remember, we're just learning about stories and information. But we pursue God today in a personal way. Today's scripture retells this encounter between Jesus and the first person to ever see him alive after his death, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Her encounter is filled with grief. It's filled with sorrow and pain. It's also filled with hope and joy and wonder. It's filled with confusion, fear, possibly even anger as she is wrestling with what has happened to Jesus when she goes to the tomb and can't find him. I like this passage so much because it, it seems to cover the entire range of human emotion and the entire range of human emotion that happens as we follow Jesus as his disciples. There'll be times of hope and joy and happiness and wonder. There'll be times of confusion and frustration and anger. There'll be times of deep grieving and weeping. And then there will be times of elation and celebration. And so we can learn a lot from this encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, teaching us how we can have this personal relationship with Jesus that comes through a deep encounter with him. So our passage is going to show us a few things today. We'll go through them one by one. The first is this, is that we should look for Jesus in the midst of grief, doubts, and struggle. The one thing that the author makes crystal clear in this passage is that the disciples did not go to the tomb expecting to see the risen Lord. They did not expect to go see Jesus alive. They go to expect to see him dead. Mary goes to the tomb that morning to give him a proper burial. She comes with spices. She comes with oils. She comes with ointments. She comes to, to give him a proper burial that she wasn't able to do on the Sabbath, which was Saturday, which prohibited this kind of work. And she goes Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to go be there with his body to give him this proper burial that they weren't able to give him. Mary sees the tomb empty. She does not think, oh my goodness, he's alive. She thinks someone stole him. Grave robbers were something very common at the time. That's why they have these huge stones that they put over the tomb. The people, would, especially people that were in uh, wealthy tombs or people of wealth, Jesus was placed in the tomb of a wealthy man who had given him his, his lot, his tomb to, to be buried in. So it was very reasonable for her to think when she didn't see Jesus that he's been stolen. He's been, you know, he's been uh, taken from them. Her first thought is not he is alive, but that insult has now followed injury in her life and grief upon grief. Not only is Jesus dead, but now his body has been vandalized. Now what are we going to do? 
Imagine that. You go to see the, 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 the resting place of your loved one. It's been vandalized. It's been dug up. And the body of the one you love is taken. I mean, what pain on top of pain you would feel. That's what's going on with Mary. Peter and John don't come to the tomb expecting to see Jesus alive. They run hearing this report from Mary that the body's not there, and they run not in enthusiasm thinking he's alive, but in this eagerness to, to figure out what is going on. Where is his body? Peter, John, and Mary are all, they all witnessed the death of Jesus just a couple days before. They, they thought that the cross and the burial of Jesus was the end of his earthly existence. Him being alive was not on their mind. And because it was the last thing on their mind, they weren't looking for it. She missed all the things that were happening in front of her that indicated Jesus was alive. She sees his clothes, but no body, right? She, she goes to the tomb and the clothes that he was buried in, which they saw, are now lying there on the table, but he's not there. And instead of thinking, he rose from the grave, she thinks, someone unwrapped him, took his body and left his clothes, who would do such a thing? Two angels ask her why she's crying, and she doesn't think the presence of angels, something, God has done something, and Jesus is alive. She thinks someone took Jesus. She's talking to these angels. Jesus himself is standing next to her and speaks to her. And she turns to him and says, if you did something to him, would you tell me where he is? All of these signs, this is what has happened. What could it mean? What could it mean? It means that in the midst of trouble, Jesus is often the last person we, exist to we expect to show up. When pain hits, Jesus is often the last person we expect to be right there in the midst of our grief and our sorrow. We don't see him because we're not looking for him. We're not looking for him. We're not expecting him to be there. We're not expecting him to work in our life. Think about this. Imagine if you were one of Jesus' early disciples. What evidence would you need to be convinced that Jesus had risen from the grave? What evidence would you need? What would be good enough for you, for you to be convinced, I believe the testimony that he is alive today? What would it take you to convince you? Would you say, you know, I would need to go there to the tomb and I would need to see his body not there, but his clothes there. I need to see it on the floor in the tomb. I need to see his clothes and I need to, I need to not see his body. Then I would believe. Obviously that wasn't good enough. Maybe it's not, maybe it's, that's not coming through enough. And you're like, okay, not just that, but I need to see not one, but I need to see two angels where Jesus was laid. I need to see two angels to show up, but that wouldn't help me either. I, so some would say, I need a supernatural experience. I need something that's supernatural, a paranormal, paranormal experience to happen in my life in order for me to be convinced that God is here, that he's alive, that he is working. I need a miracle. Maybe that's not convincing enough. So maybe you'd say, forget the, forget the clothes, forget the paranormal activity. I need to see Jesus face to face. And unless I can talk to him, only then will I be convinced that he is alive. Here's what the author is telling us. Mary had every single one of those signs that Jesus had risen from the dead and it still didn't, she still didn't get it. 
And she didn't get it because she was not coming to the grave looking for Jesus to be alive. She was coming to the grave, retiring herself to hopelessness and sorrow, and that's all that she could see. She missed all of those signs. And let me, let me apply this question to you today. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is working in the midst of your circumstances today? What would it take you for you to be convinced, I know that no matter what I'm going through, Jesus is alive and working in me now. And be careful what you say because say, I, just, I need to see a, a sign. I need to see a, a paranormal activity. I need to see a miracle. How do you know that you, would, that you would see it when it came? What would it take? Would you need a sign? Would you need certain circumstances to change? Would you need something to happen? Here's my point. If all of those things did happen that you want to happen in order to be convinced that Jesus is working, how are you so sure that it hasn't already happened, you just didn't notice it? How are you so sure that if God showed you those things, you would be aware of his working? Mary is standing closer to the risen Jesus that anyone in history has ever stood before, and she doesn't even know it. After a few months of moving to Tucson from Kentucky, I was trying to get to this business on the northwest side of Tucson, and someone told, gave me directions, and they told me I had to go north on La Cañada. And a teenage uh, boy from Kentucky, I'm, I'm not looking for a Spanish word in that, okay? And so I'm looking for La Cañada, drive. So I'm looking for a word that sound, like has some Ys in it and some Hs, probably a few you know, Ws or something. I'm, I'm driving all around the northwest side, circling La Cañada, passing it a dozen times, saying, where is this weird word that, that, that I've never heard before? Certainly it ha has some H's in there somewhere. <laughs> I never found that street, never found that, never found that business. Turned around, went back home. Oh, a tilde. I didn't know what that was. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't find it. It was right there. If you, wanna, if you want a real encounter with Jesus, you could be handed information about him. You could be handed facts about him, and it will be, it'll mean nothing in themselves. We must look for Jesus and look for him in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our grief. We must look for Jesus and look to see him in the midst of our struggle, not defeated, but alive and working it out for our good. We need to expect him to work. We need to be, expect him to be present. We need to be looking for him because he says that he is here in our midst. He says that he is alive. But we often are looking for the sign. If, if you just change this circumstance, if you make this thing happen, then I know that you'll be working, that you care for me. If you just do this, if you just do that, but we're a bit naive to think that our eyes are open to be ready to receive what he's ready to give us. See, we need to look for Jesus in the midst of that. In the midst of those tombs, in the midst of that difficulty, he is working. And this encounter with Mary is a challenge to each of us. A challenge that says that in the midst of death, in the midst of struggle, like death is not the end. In the, in, with Jesus, death is never the end. Tragedy, tragedy does not mean ultimate failure. We might look at the world and see disaster, but Jesus is not afraid. 
Jesus has not been defeated. When trouble comes our way, we might break out the, you know, the spices and the perfumes and just get it ready for like a, a perpetual burial in our life. Like, well, I, this, I guess this is the way life is. And it's just, I'm just stuck here forever. I just will be miserable forever. We need to hear Jesus saying, what's that for? I'm not dead anymore. Why do you come bringing burial things? Why do you come mourning? Why do you come wearing all black and resolving yourself to just despair? I'm alive. Look for me in the midst of it. So Mary wasn't looking for it, and, and, and we don't always look for it. And that's one thing that we can learn. And, and, but what does looking for Jesus look like? Right? What does it look like to look for him? This is going to sound weird, but looking for Jesus looks like hearing from him. Now, this is, hear Jesus calling your name. Hear him calling you. Because right? we, we, we don't see him. We don't see him with our physical eyes. Jesus has ascended into heaven and he is, he is bodily in heaven in the presence of God our Father. And we are told to still look for him. But what does that mean? It means to, to hear him. Look how Jesus puts an end to Mary's grief, her confusion, her entire devastation with one simple word, her name. He calls out to her. He calls her name. It seems that when Jesus says her name, Mary, that the scales fall off her eyes and she immediately recognizes him right there in the tomb. Verse 15, when Jesus first speaks to Mary, she thinks that he is the gardener. And Jesus asks her a question, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? This is such a, a tender question. It's such a pastoral question. It's, it's a compassionate question. It's a, it's a question that a, that a pastor might ask to a grieving person. It's a question that a counselor or a therapist would ask to someone who comes in just bearing a lot of, a lot of grief. If you've ever been to a counselor or, or a therapist, it's like the therapist asking you right off the bat, so what brings you in today? What's, what, is on you, what is weighing on you? What do you want to happen? Tell me, what's troubling you? In counseling, there's something called the magic wand question. And it, it, and it means this. If you had a magic wand and you could change your circumstances today in any way that you wanted and you woke up tomorrow and things were different and things were as you had hoped they would be, um, what would be different about your life? You could change anything. Magic wand, just, just tell me, describe to me the future that you desire. And what would that look like? And it's meant to get people to envision a better life than what they're currently living, where their circumstances are changed, where their grief has been, um, is gone. And it's like Jesus kind of asking this question, like, what are you looking for? What, what are you seeking? What's troubling you? What brings you in today? He says, I just want to know where Jesus is. I just want to know where you've laid him. And the best that Mary can come up with is this, this thing that would give her only temporary relief. But it's the best thing that she can imagine in her pain is that she just, she just wants to know if Jesus, where he is, so that she could go to him and see him one last time. And the best that she could come up with is just this temporary relief. But Jesus knows that the real solution must go beyond, much beyond, much deeper than a change in just her circumstances. 
Because a change in circumstance is going to give you a little peace in the moment, but it's not going to go deep enough. What would, what would put an end to your grief? What would put an end to your trouble? We often think it would be a change in circumstances, having answers to, to deep questions that we have, having answers to how things might turn out, some anxieties in the future that are impending, some choices that need to be made. We, we might think if you gave me a different spouse or different kids or a different job or a different boss or a different house or just if you changed all of these things, I think then that my life would be good if I just made this much, a little bit more money or even if I just had a little bit more confidence. Whatever it is. What would put an end to your grief? We often think it'd be a change in some of those things, but I think what is more powerful than all of that, what will bring greater relief than any of that is knowing that we belong to God, that he belongs to us. He knows our name and nothing can take us out of the grasp of his love. What brings you in today? What, what, what's troubling you? And whatever you say, that solution is not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. The best scenario that Mary can, can muster up that will bring her hope Still, the outcome is still a dead Jesus. And Jesus needs her to know that, that her hope is not in any of those things. It is not in a dead Jesus that just changed her circumstances, but it is in a resurrected Jesus, a, a Jesus that gives life completely, abundantly. And Jesus simply utters her name, Mary. And the scales come off and she falls at his feet in worship. She crumbles in pure joy. Maybe this reminds you of, of Jesus' teaching in John 10 when Jesus says the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger will not, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. If you have young children in the nursery, and you hear a cry, you know if it's your kid, right? One child and, 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 and dozens at the playground, you know you, when yours is crying. You know your children, you hear their voice. You know their cry apart from others, and they know yours apart from others. Countless times over the last couple years, uh, I've laid to bed with, laid with my daughter, uh, Kate to comfort her at bedtime um, when she was frightened. And we would sit there and we'd watch YouTube on my phone and we would watch videos of shepherds calling sheep. And there's a lot on there after if you, if you just, <laughs> like, it's amazing. Real shepherds. So like, what, like, just Googling like New Zealand shepherd calling sheep. You get a lot. Okay. And, and we would do this. And these are, these are pictures of the shepherd going out into the meadows, into the pasture, and it's just him and a bunch of grass, and he calls his sheep, and instantly you start hearing the bells from their necks, and then from the hills, they start running to their shepherd in great joy, and the joy on the shepherd's face as he sees his sheep coming, and hundreds of sheep come, and he feeds them, and they run around, and then there's some videos, too, just put strangers calling sheep. You can do that, too. We've done that a lot. 
And I say, see what happens, Kate? Like when strangers call the sheep, they go out, they yell, they yell for the sheep, nothing happens. And then the shepherd comes and says, watch this. And he just says one word and all the sheep just come running. Something beautiful about that, he knows our name, he calls us. And when he calls us, our fears just, our circumstances don't change. They often, even times get worse. But his measure of love is not, you know, is not counted by our circumstances. Answer the magic wand question for yourself. Imagine an ideal future. Bring your requests and cares to God. These are good things, right? These are good techniques to, to like express our heart to God. But know that the only true and lasting comfort will come in knowing that God knows your name. And nothing can take you out of his loving care. Does the best that you can imagine that will make you happy, does it still, de- does it still depend on a dead Jesus? Or does it require a, a, a living Jesus in your life, changing you from the inside out, assuring you of his commitment to you, assuring you of his love for you? Does your greatest hope in life still factor in a dead Jesus? Or one who is risen, who intercedes for you, who takes your prayers to God, the Father? Have you ever slowed down enough just to hear him calling your name? If you're a Christian and you feel feel abandoned by God, he's calling out to you. He's calling out to you to recenter your hope, not on what happens to you, not what happens in your life, but what he has done for you. He is calling you by name. And I, again, I don't know the tone in Jesus' voice when he calls Mary the name. I like to think it was somewhat sarcastic. Like, she's like I, just want to, I just want to know where you put Jesus. And he's like, Mary. <laughs> Seriously? Like, that, that's, how I, that's how I like to imagine it. Because I think that's appropriate. And I think that's what it sounds like when we talk to him like that. I just want to know, like, wh- when are you going to make all things better? Seriously? He's calling you out. He's calling you. If you feel that God's presence is from you, you're a Christian, you know him, you love him, and you feel like he has abandoned you, he, he's calling you now and calling you to recenter your hope. Come back. Focus on me. What I've done for you, what he is doing for you, he's promised to complete the work that he has begun in you. He will sanctify you. He will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will advocate for you. He will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will lift you up. He knows your name. And struggle and death and sorrow has an expiration date in your life. If you are not a Christian, he's calling out to you. He is calling out to you so that you would turn from all looking for the good life in dead places looking for the good life among tombs, looking for approval from others and wealth and feelings of happiness and success to feel like you have the good life and that you are significant and have meaning and that you are loved. You may be looking for it in all the wrong places. And he's calling out to you 
that you would know the true life is found in, in knowing that you are loved and accepted by God's grace. That your love and acceptance does not come based upon your circumstances, what you produce, what you accumulate, but what he's done for you. God chose Mary to be the first person to see him alive for a reason. One of the, the reasons is because of who she is. She's an outsider in every way. The significance of this is, should not be lost. First, she was a woman. And a woman in first century Judea legally did not have a status in court as a reputable witness. And the first witness to see Jesus alive, to give testimony and witness of his resurrection, is a woman who had no voice. By choosing Mary, God is giving her credibility and honor despite her social status, despite her experience. She had a social status that meant very little at the time. She also had a moral status that was just in shambles. Her moral status was not in her favor. She had an immoral background and a reputation that was pretty tarnished, to say the least. By choosing someone of such poor reputation and character, God is telling us something so important about what it means to find his acceptance. It always comes by grace, not by personal achievement, not by our record. This is how Jesus works. If we saw that the first person come to Jesus and witness his resurrection was a, a man of great uh, notoriety, we would say, well, that makes sense. That's what I would do. That's, that's who I would go to first if I wanted the message to spread, but he doesn't do that. He is wanting to tell us something so important about how he works, that the love of God is not proven to us in our circumstances, in our lives, but rather at the cross where Jesus died. This is how he works, to choose the least of us, to choose the broken, to call out to those who are hurting. That no one is too far out of reach of God's grace because of their record or their sin or their guilt. Listen, imagine you are Jesus for a second. You've just risen from the dead after a pretty rough weekend. You're alive. And you got names. You've taken names. The soldier who whipped you. Pilate who betrayed you. Herod who gave you the death sentence. All of the, the, the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the high priest, all those in the Jewish court that put together a bogus trial all the people who lied about you, you got a list and now you're alive and you're like, I'm going to make my rounds. Who's the first person you go and reveal yourself to? One of those people, right? Surprise, surprise. Anyway, that's why you and I are not Jesus. <laughs> he goes to Mary. He goes to Mary a former prostitute, an outcast, a sinner, a grieving friend, someone with no social clout or reputation. If you are hearing Jesus calling your name, even in the faintest, he's not calling you in order to condemn you. He's calling you to rescue you. If you hear Jesus talking to you, you might think that you're in trouble and you shouldn't respond. He is not coming to condemn. He's coming to save. He's coming to love. He's coming to pour out to you in your heart his full measure of love 
and to go deeper than you have never been before. He is wanting to have this deeper experience so that you can know the fullness of joy that is found in him. Sometimes when we sense God's leading or conviction in our heart, we think it's because he's about to smite us or make life really difficult. And if we give attention to that guilt and to that sense of his calling, then we're just like, things will just get really bad. He's just ready to pour out his love for you. And Mary is floored by Jesus' love and overjoyed that he is alive. But what happens next is so interesting. In verse 17, he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Again, tone is important. I don't know what's happening here. In fact, I've searched every commentary and they all say, I don't know. But he's not, but we do know what he's not saying. He's not saying, don't touch me, don't touch me. He's not repulsed. He's not saying, you can't hold on to me. You can't touch me. I'm just, I'm just spirit. I'm just like a ghost. We know that's not true because that same day he goes to Thomas and says, touch me. So we know there's not something about touching here. We, but what, we, what we're gathering is that Jesus is wanting to communicate something that goes beyond just our joy in having a relationship with him. The resurrection is not just for our own personal satisfaction, our personal joy. The resurrection reality really does call you and I to give our lives to something beyond ourselves. That the fact that Jesus is alive is so wonderful. In and of itself, it's wonderful to have this personal joy with him. But it's also a call to the mission of God that goes way beyond ourselves. And Jesus is saying, I'm alive and this is good and I know you're happy, but it goes beyond your own individual joy. You have a mission. I'm sending you out, Mary. I'm, I'm sending you on a mission, not only to be the first witness of my resurrection, but the first missionary. It's a call to take Jesus to the world. This is our final, our final thought in this passage that we, we show and tell of what we have seen and heard. Are you hearing God's voice? Are you hearing his call? Are you hearing his grace? Are you receiving his love? It doesn't end with you. It doesn't end. It's not meant to just end right there. We are reporters. We are truth tellers. We are all missionaries. Insofar that we take what we have seen and heard and we live it out in a life, we show it in our life and we tell it to the world. Apparently she reaches out and takes hold of Jesus and he says, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. The point is that Mary, while acting appropriately in adoring Jesus, he's not rebuking her here, but that he's wanting to tell her that now she has a task to do and a life to live in this new reality. The attitude that Jesus is encouraging is not one of passive amazement of God's love. Like we should not stop in our life by just staring in awe and amazement of God and just say to one another, isn't God great? We need to keep going. We need to be on active mission. We are not only to adore Jesus, but we need to share him. In other words, the work of Jesus on the cross has now opened up the opportunity for Jesus' disciples to have a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It is so amazing. And, and for, for all that would believe in him, for all that would come to Jesus, he has now has opened up the way for anyone 
who hears his call to come into his open arms. No one is too far gone. No lifestyle, no record, no attitude, no sins, past, present, or future. Nothing can take us from the love of God. Mary returns to the other disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. It's more than information. It's a confession. It is a confession of faith as well as a devotion to him. Mary brings not only the announcement of eternal life, but the announcement that a real intimate relationship with God has been irrevocably created at that moment. First, we need to hear this announcement ourselves. We need to hear it. Do you hear Jesus calling your name? Do you hear Jesus calling out to you in the midst of what feels like a funeral? What feels like death? And you just go to Jesus just to like, no, make the burial smell a little less bad with some incense and perfumes. But we need to not come just looking for more death. We need to come expecting the risen Lord to make beauty out of ashes. We must believe this incredible news that Jesus defeated death and sin, that he's alive today. He's working in us. We must live our lives like we believe it all to be true, that he's alive, that he's working in you, that we have a message to tell. It is a message of grace. It is a message about a God who created us, that knows us by name, that rescues us, that died for us. Let's tell that message in everything we do. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.